0: we are walking through this series called Blessed. Um, This series is centered around our redemptive community core value, and it's all about Matthew 5, which Julia read during worship with the Beatitudes, and it shows us how to be a redemptive community. It shows us how to be a community full of faith and full of love and full of truth, and we're wading through these verses of the Scripture in Matthew 5. So when Jesus came to earth... He came with the primary message declaring one thing, that the kingdom of God is near. That's what he wanted everyone to know. And he was the king of that kingdom. And he is the king of all the kingdoms. And he would even tell us, if you remember how it goes, your kingdom come, your will be done. How does it end? On earth as it is in heaven. And he spent much of his life and much of his ministry talking about what God's kingdom was like, the values of God's kingdom. And how many of you know that the values of God's kingdom are very different than the values of our world? The the values of God's kingdom are different than the values of government. They're different than the values of companies. In fact, Jesus avoids most things that people pursue and pursues most things people avoid. And so often, he is, in so many ways, taking what we understand to be true and what we understand to be real and turning it upside down. And he's saying, you live in a world where the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom in comparison to the world we live in. It is a paradox. And he uses Matthew 5. He he paints this picture of the upside-down kingdom of heaven in the beatitudes let me give you some examples he says most people they 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 live they work for wealth and for power but jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit people spend their whole lives trying to just be happy pursuing ease and pleasure trying to create a life that is safe and simple at all costs but jesus says blessed are those who mourn upside down Nothing like we understand. We marvel at people who are, who are powerful and beautiful who rise to the top. And we hope maybe I can just be that lucky someday. Where's my big break? But Jesus says, I have the opposite value. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the underdogs. Blessed are the nobodies. Blessed are the people that you've never heard of. Blessed are those people. All around us, people grasp for more popularity, more possessions, but Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and righteousness alone. God's values, they're countercultural. And, and when you live this way, I believe you become a lightning rod for criticism. Because people all around you are, are, are saying, Why would you have that value? Why would you invest in that? Why would you spend time doing that? That's not going to get you anywhere. But when we have the courage, to follow the king who is building the kingdom of God. He says that he promises joy to us. He, he promises wealth to us beyond bank accounts and retirement. He he promises the fullness of the Spirit, and he promises mercy beyond measure. And he says that though this may look like an upside-down way to live to most of the world, when you do this, you experience this blessing of a different kingdom, not the kingdom that you reign in right now, but the kingdom of God. And so he challenges us with these things. It's interesting, Jesus is a unique king Pharaohs and monarchs and emperors all throughout history, they ruled with power. They demanded the respect from people. They would go to great lengths to to make sure that they retained this power and control. You know, kings would kill people that were threats to them. They would make sure that they would control environments so people only had resources as long as the king gave it to him. But for Jesus, there was no kingdom without a cross. For Jesus, there was no kingdom without a cross. Jesus' idea of being our king was a humiliating, excruciating public death that he didn't deserve. And Jesus' idea of being our king was to love us so much, to not control or demand our lives, but to love us so much that he would give up his life. To Jesus, there was no kingdom without the cross. And it's interesting as we sort of look at Matthew 5, throughout the Old Testament, God was often depicted as fierce and unapproachable. There are stories um, like when God led the people out of Egypt, he did it with pillars of fire and and pillars of smoke. He, He meant business. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, the whole mountain shook when, when the people were terrified of God's presence, most of the Old Testament prophets talk about God's judgment, not often mentioning his, his tenderness. And they talk about how the fear of God is very valid and very true. He is powerful. He is, he is furious. He is fierce. And so when Jesus approached this group of people in Matthew 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, that, those people understood God to be fierce and unapproachable, and, and, and scary maybe at times. And so when Jesus began to preach the Sermon on the Mount, he began to tell the listeners that God was affectionate, that God was protective, that that God was supportive and, and present. And they just couldn't hardly understand it because their, their context of who God was was watching him strike people dead that crossed him. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. They are thinking a God who shows mercy. I don't know what that looks like. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. A, a God who comforts, he comforts us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They were asking themselves, God honors peace. All we've seen him do is destroy things that, that are not holy. And the listeners, they just couldn't understand this side of God. That Jesus began to present. They couldn't possibly understand that God could be these things. And as I was reading that and studying that, I just had this sort of moment that maybe you're here today and and you were told or you perceived things about God that makes it really hard for you to believe that God loves you or that God is some kind of loving father. Maybe your understanding of God is is the the harder side of him or or maybe the distant side of him. Maybe you feel like God is is very far away from you, like some distant person that that you've just heard about. And I believe that what Jesus' point was on the Sermon on the Mountain, what he wants you to see this morning, is that he is closer than you think, that he is near. And that he wants this relationship with you. He wants this relationship with you every day that will change you. And I love how what Daniel said when when people came to the front and said, Hey, I have a word. I have something that God's telling me to say. It's because God wants so much for us to hear from him that he will send a message in a lot of different forms. That he will send a message, he will say, this is what I want the people very first to understand and know today. And so I'm going to tell Ruth, and I'm going to tell Jiva, and I'm going to tell Bree, and I'm going to tell Daniel. And I want them to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the way that the church works, that I am near, I am closer than they think, I have healing power, I'm the king of the kingdom, and that they can understand and have this moment of intimacy with me. And aren't you thankful God does that for us? So in Matthew 6, this is after the Beatitudes, Jesus is continuing to teach the disciples how to pray. And he says this, um, this is how you're going to pray. Start out like this, our Father in heaven. And I can imagine the disciples being like, wait, already a question, four words. (laughs) Um, What do you mean, I can just call him Father? And Jesus saying, yes, Just like you would call your dad father, that's how you can address God. And the disciples' minds just being completely blown. That's how I can approach the God of the universe. To the Jews in the first century, this was revolutionary to think about relating to God in this way. And Jesus is saying, God is like this loving Jewish father who you can approach, who you can build relationship with, who you can learn from, who you can strive to be like. That's what God is. At the end of May, um, my five-year-old Haley um, graduated from pre-K. I think I have a little picture here. Oh. Um, here at, at EFCA. And uh, next year, she will be a big kindergartner. So we're preparing for that. Um, I have another picture, I think. I don't know if you have it there of me and her. But um, So they had practiced and practiced for graduation ceremony. Um, They had these adorable songs. They had these shakers. They had these these bells. They had all these things. It was beautiful. The teachers did a great job. And she came home for weeks, every day, excited for graduation. She taught the whole family all the songs. I mean, we were like, you know, the Gathers going around the house, singing the shaker songs. I don't know. We were just doing it. We were excited. We're going to be there. I invited my parents, Joel invited his parents. We all went. And that morning, the whole family came. We filled up the whole row. We were those people, you know, like, oh, it's just preschool graduation. But we were there, and we were in the front row, and we were excited. And um, that morning, uh, she filed in with her little class. There was about 12 or 15 of them. And she sat in her seat for about four seconds. And she looked at that crowd. There was about 60 or so people in there. 20 of them were us, yeah. And she looked at that crowd, and she she left her seat, and she came over, and she ran to me, and she buried her head in my shoulder, and she death-gripped me for the next 30 minutes. And I kept saying, Haley, do you want to go up and You know this song. You should go up and sing a song. Nope. I said, but you should, you know, just go shake the shaker. You don't even have to say anything. Nope. And she, I mean, I had marks on my arms because she was not letting go of me. She refused to sing every song. Her anxiety level was so high uh, that she just sat on my lap and she watched her classmates complete the program. And in fact, later that day, she said, they did a good job. (laughs) I said, they did, they did. But they had this time where they had, um, They call each student up and they give them a little diploma. And prior to that, they had asked each four-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so when the kids went up, uh, they would say, this is so-and-so and and they want to be this. And the answers were so precious. You know, some of them wanted to be a policeman. Some of them wanted to be a mommy. Some of them wanted to be a ballerina. And I had to carry Haley up to the teacher because she would not let me go to get the diploma. And they said, this is Haley Schreiber." And um, when she grows up, She wants to preach at church like her mommy. And I smiled (laughs) because the irony was so thick. Her incredible fear of the crowd in that moment, yet her desire to just be like her mom. It was just, it was almost too ironic and too funny to even deal with. But you know, God spoke to me that day. Haley didn't see her limitations. She just wanted to be like her mom because she loves me, and I love her, and we love each other. She just wants to be like me because when you love somebody, that's what you want to do. And when you you extend love... And I believe that so much what Jesus is saying here in this text is that blessed are those who reflect God's kingdom, blessed are those who know the king of the kingdom, blessed are those who have all kinds of limitations, but they just want to be like their father because they love him and he loves them. And I felt so deeply in that moment that God was just telling us, would you just try, even in all your fears and all your anxieties and all your own limitations, would you just try all the time, even when God says, i got to pick you up and carry you to your diploma, would you just be who I want you to be? Would you just act the way that this scripture says, and would you live out? What I'm asking you to do, when we put the king first, we want the things he wants, we love the people he loves, and we'll be blessed because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And like the scripture said, we are becoming more like children of God. I want to focus today for the last just few minutes here on Matthew 5, 9, where it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That called children of God really stuck out to me this week ask myself this question, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in the year 2018? What does it mean for our generation to follow this beatitude? Because we certainly know, if you've read the newspaper or looked at all at the news, that there are disagreements, there's hate, there's disharmony, there is peace to be made. There are are fighting among countries, there's fighting among people groups, there's fighting among conservatives and liberals and political parties and cultures and races, and and there's this constant uh, mis- miss a step of peace even within our own country we we're facing school violence and immigration disputes if you've read about that and poverty that is just unbearable to comprehend we are in desperate need for peace I believe God is saying blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God is so relevant right now to, to our day right now to this culture and maybe even if that isn't of, of a lot of you know importance to you. I want to take it to a personal level. There are quarrels and arguments between family members and friends and roommates and parents and children, and, and you may live in a, a very hostile or, or tense environment, have major stress in your life, parts of your life that desperately need peace, battles that you have been fighting with other people or even within yourself. There's a lot of pain in the world. There's a, there's a lot of injustice and honestly, when we see the weak exploited, when we, when we see our values get destroyed, we get angry. And, 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 we, and often, I think the angrier we get, it helps us realize how big the problem is. And the desire for justice, the desire that someone who was wronged gets, gets justice, is legitimate. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are the peacemakers, like, don't let anything bother you. What he's saying is, don't just stand passively by and watch injustice happen. It should bother you because God himself desires justice and peace much, much more than we can ever desire it. So it's not as if God is saying, be passive and be peaceful and just sit around and watch this happening and just don't let it bother you. God is saying, I am just. I am the judge. But where we make the mistake is the easy way to respond to injustice is to fight back. That that's our initial feeling, is the easy way to respond to injustice is just to fight back, and that's where things can go sideways, because when we attempt to right wrongs without God's help, we go from being part of the solution to just adding more to the problem. It takes no goodness, it takes no godliness to start swinging back at those who hurt us. In fact, that just creates more holes in God's good world. Even though we're attempting to do the right thing. Have you ever walked away from a conversation after the fact and you thought, oh, I, I had the perfect comeback. I should have said this exact thing. That would have just like sucker punched him in the gut. They would have been laying there defenseless. You just kind of like play that out in your minds. I believe God is, is reminding us that In the upside down kingdom of God, swinging back and fighting with the same strategy that the enemy fights with is not what he's asking us to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When Jesus was in the garden before his crucifixion, I want to remind us of what happened in Matthew 26, 50 through 52. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Peter. (laughs) That's what I imagine, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus categorically teaches us in this moment that wrath is not the way of God. Peter had a moment of opportunity to establish justice through aggression. And God himself restrained Peter's hand. Because I believe that Jesus knew evil is overcome in a different way. Evil is overcome in a different way. That next morning on Friday, after his arrest, if you remember, Jesus stands trial with Pontius Pilate. And not wanting to be part of the blame, Pilate left Jesus' fate up to the crowd that was gathered. And and they flogged him. The the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and, and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, They mocked him ceaselessly. They slapped him in the face. So much injustice was happening, and Jesus had done nothing wrong. He he had done absolutely nothing wrong in all of his life. He had done nothing wrong to these people. He had done nothing wrong at all, and yet all of this injustice was happening to him. And the soldiers marched Jesus through Jerusalem to a hill outside of the city, and they nailed him on a cross for a crime he did not commit, and on that cross, he was lifted up so everyone on the countryside could see as they were, as they were walking by, as they were, as they were going about their daily business. And, and in that moment, Jesus died naked and friendless with nothing and no one. And what he says in the garden in Matthew 26 is, could God have rescued him from that cross? Could God have saved him from that injustice? Could God have fought back? Could Jesus have swung back at the people that were swinging to him? Could that have happened? Yes. In fact, Matthew 26 says, With 12 legions of angels, God could do it in an instant. But Jesus did not use that enormous amount of power that he had at his disposal to destroy the wicked. He did not eliminate those who hurt him or strike their families dead. He could have in a moment. But instead, Jesus makes this huge statement for us. He attacks the sin at work among his killers by suffering for them. He opens a way to life. He creates a way that peace can bridge between humanity and God. And in order for us to reflect God, we must reject wrath. There is no other way. Rejecting wrath is not passively sitting by and ignoring justice. Peacemaking is this proactive thing. In fact, I believe peacemaking is even aggressive at times. It's aggressively making peace. Do all you can with all you have to make your life and the lives of others align with this kingdom principle. I think we often think there's only two possible responses to, to uh Things that come up against us when we're confronted, we either think we need to be submissive and passive and just completely roll over and just take the hit and be like, all right, just, you know, keep it coming. Let everyone walk all over you. Let nothing bother you. Be numb to the world. That's what we think that we have to be. Or we go the other way and and we think that we can react aggressively. We can go after the people. We can show them who's boss. We can hit them harder than they hit us, so then they stop. And we have these sort of two responses. But I believe in this moment, Jesus is saying, no, you you have it both wrong. Jesus wasn't a pacifist. He didn't lie down and let others run over him. But, But Jesus also didn't fight back with the same strategies that the enemy used to fight him with. He had a better way. He had a different way. He knew that evil would never be overcome when you fought evil with evil. And he also knew that we couldn't just lay down and let evil win. But what he is saying is that God will show us how to respond to injustice. And it probably will not be like you initially think it is. It probably will be something very different than what your instincts are and how to react. But peacemaking is proactive. And Jesus knew that evil was overcome in a different way. That there is a third way. There is a brilliant third way. And that way is is just exactly what he spoke to, to some of you this morning when you came up and shared, this is my takeaway today, to hand it over to God because the battle is not yours. That's our takeaway this morning. When someone asks you this week what was church about or when it's Wednesday and you're just completely thinking, I don't, that was really good but I can't exactly remember what we talked about, this is what I want you to remember. If you remember nothing else, remember this, hand it over to God because the battle is not yours. Because with each nail pounded into Jesus' flesh, he could have said to those men, this blood is for you. I'm doing this for you. Don't you see this? I'm doing this for you. But Jesus' sacrifice is this highly proactive move. He demonstrates a way of addressing enemies that is not passive nor violent. It's redemptive. It's restoring. It's reflecting. And it's allowing God to have the final word. Jesus shows us, this is how I fight my battles. I let God have the final word. And in God's beautifully flipped over upside down kingdom, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And so this is how we fight our battles. We don't look for a way to respond to violence with violence. If you come up with like the best comeback line, just keep it to yourself. Say it to the mirror, okay? And then ask God to give you a new response. We don't find a way to outsmart or outwit or embarrass or hurt people who hurt us. We, we, we let our anger or injustice drive us closer to the heart of God. We, we don't lay down in passivity or rise up in, to intimidate. We, we let God have the final word. And we don't spend time plotting our revenge. We let God take care of our enemies. You know, when Jesus, he was entering Jerusalem, he was coming down from the Mount of Olives. Um, he, he knew in, such, in a few short days, all those things would happen I just told you about, that he would, uh, he, he would um, be in the garden and Peter would try to cut off the ear and, and he would come to his moment of crucifixion. Theologians believe he quoted this psalm. I want to read it to you. Psalm 118. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Would you stand to your feet for this last part of Psalm 18? It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Just thank him right now. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad because you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And just like David who wrote the Psalm, he declared this. And just like Jesus, he declared this, that we can declare, That this is how I fight my battles. That this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We're gonna declare this truth today, just as a body, as the last few minutes, and just as an encouragement. I want to welcome just a a choir of worshipers up here today. Just come on up, just declaring today that this is how we fight our battles, this is how we fight them as a church, this is how we fight them as a community of faith, that this is how we fight our battles, I want you to just imagine the thing right now that you're battling with, the thing that you don't know exactly what to do with, the impossibility, that moment, and we're just going to sing this this song to sing what Psalm 18 says, that when we are surrounded by things, we didn't know what to do. It may look like we were failing. It may look like the battle was beating us, but God, when we're surrounded, we declare that we're surrounded by you. So we just sing this out to end today's service. Just sing this out as we declare it. Sing it out. This is how fight my battle. up to the biggest, most difficult thing of your life. And we just pray that the Lord is with us, that you are our helper, that we look in triumph on our enemies. Father God, we take refuge in you. We do not trust in humans. We do not trust in princes, God. But when we feel surrounded in the name of the Lord, we ask that you would fight our battles. God, when we feel like we're swarmed around with with bees, Lord God, when we feel like we're consumed quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be our strength and our defense, that you have become our salvation. You are our God and we will praise you. You are our God and we will exalt you. We give thanks to the Lord for you are good and your love endures forever. God, this is how we fight our battles. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Go in Jesus' name.